Well, I have the unfortunate task of talking about something today that is pretty difficult. I think it's pretty challenging. Um, I was texting with our friend, Father Chris, last night, and I said, I'm trying to thread the needle on speaking faithfully about obedience, to which he replied, nothing easier. (laughs) Smiley face. There's something about sanctuary that I think we are, we're graced for something. We are given a kind of grace, a kind of charism to serve the church, to serve one another in a special kind of way. And I think that that kind of grace, that thing that we are graced for, is this work of healing. Let me explain what I mean by that. So many in our community, so many of you, have experienced some kind of necessary deconstruction. We've taken ideas that were either toxic or represented in ways that were unfaithful, and we've done the work of tearing those things down. And now the space where we are requires us to reconstruct something in its place. Because if you just deconstruct down to the foundation and you don't put anything back, if you don't do any kind of reconstruction, that isn't a faithful process of deconstruction. That's just demolition. And so the way that I think we are graced toward healing, toward being a healing community, is finding faithful ways of replacing those ideas and those practices and those things that were so toxic to us and for us and replacing them with something that is faithful, something that is true, something that is beautiful. Obedience, for a lot of us, works this way. Let's take a look at one of our texts for this morning out of the lectionary. This is out of 1 John 5. It says that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God conquers the world, and this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. In our gospel text, we bump into this same idea. Jesus says, you are my friends if you obey, if you do what I command you. Now, if you have had a friend for five minutes, you know that this is just not how friendship works. Friendship is not this kind of barter, right? Uh, I've heard a wonderful story from, again, our friend, uh, well, Father Chris's wife from Julie, where she said that one of their kids was actually being told that, like, hey, I'll be your friend if if you give me five bucks. Um, This is not friendship, right? We, as human beings, we understand that this, this construct of 
commands and obedience, the only kind of context that we have for it are in these kinds of power structures, are in these scenarios in which you have a superior and an inferior, right? So we have the slave and the master relationship. We have bosses and we have employees. We have a superior, we have a subordinate. Uh, Today is Mother's Day. We get this instinctively with our parents, that you have a parent and you have a child, and we are called to obey our parents, so, but the, the problem is that so often what we do with God is we take our human understanding, the human context of our relationships with one another, be it friendship or be it this superior, inferior kind of dynamic, and we just take that and make it bigger, and then we apply it to God. So that when we hear something like, you are my friends if you obey my commandments, we think, oh, we know what Jesus means by obeying his commandments. And so very quickly, we get these ideas about God, that God is somehow superior, that God's will is oppressive in our lives, and that we are called to simply submit to whatever that power is. Walter Brueggemann, he points out that there are a couple of mistakes in thinking this way about our relationship with God. He says that, Either we make obedience about complete subjugation of your will in which God is dominating you and it's all God and it's none of you, that God's will is just crushing you as this other outside force in the world. And Brueggemann calls this graceless obedience. Graceless obedience. There's no grace in it. It's just God crushing you with his will, and it dehumanizes you as a human being. There's no sense here of friendship. There's no sense of being brought into partnership with God and what God is doing in the world. It is just God smashing you with his otherness. And so, One of the things that we do when we experience this kind of graceless obedience and we come to see it for the nonsense that it is, we make this violent swing in the other direction into what Brueggemann refers to as a faithless autonomy. From graceless obedience to faithless autonomy. And here we're saying, well, if you're going to treat me like that, if you're going to do nothing else but oppress me and be this oppressive force in the universe, crushing me with your will, I will be free, but I'm going to go live on my own terms. From graceless obedience to faithless autonomy. But what we see in the person of Jesus is that obedience is a kind of grace and that freedom in our lives is the shape that obedience takes. That I am never more myself and you are never more yourself than when we are obeying God's commandments. And hear this, that God never gives us a command that's not about us becoming more ourselves. We don't have to become something else entirely. There's no infringement on our identity as human beings. We don't lose ourselves in this act of obedience. We actually step into who we really are. 
we see this again in Christ, that Christ's freedom is not violated out of an obligation of obedience because for Christ, freedom and obedience belong together. And because that's true of Jesus, it becomes true for us. Remember, in the incarnation, that God takes on flesh, and the purpose of the incarnation is that so everything that we are can become his, and that everything that's possible for him becomes ours. So whatever we see being true for Jesus, we can be sure that it can be true for us, that when Christ obeys the Father, Jesus is being who he is. He's not having to become something other than Jesus in order to obey. And that when the Father commands Christ, the Father is not giving him an oppressive commandment, imposing his will on Jesus' life. The Father is calling Jesus to be who he is. This is what obedience and faithfully responding to commandment looks like for us. There is no conflict. There's no difference in power. There's no leveraging or manipulating between being submitted to the Father because Christ is equal to the Father. And we are co-laborers with Christ. God is Lord, but God does not need to lord over you in order to be Lord. That's not how the dynamic works. So our obedience, our ability to step into and be faithful to the things that God commands us, it's about stepping into who and to what God has always intended us to be. Obedience in this way is not a kind of necessary evil. It's not a step on the way to freedom. Obedience is the shape that freedom takes in Jesus and in us. Rowan Williams, you didn't think I'd get through a sermon without mentioning Rowan Williams, did you? I think what we need to do is from now on, I'm just going to say, as my friend says, and you'll know we're talking about Rowan Williams. He says this, to submit to God is to be most directly in touch with what is most real. To refuse that submission is not to be free of an alien violence that's imposed on you, but to become an alien yourself. How good is that? What's he saying? Williams is saying that when the father commands the son, it's not arbitrary. It's not external to Jesus and imposed on him. The command of the father is the father calling out of the son who the son is. And the same is true of you and me. That when we obey God's commandments, we are not becoming something else entirely. We are stepping into who we are and what we were supposed to be from the beginning. Remember in 1 John, he says that his commands are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. Because they are fitted, God's commands for us, they are fitted to who we are. There is no command that God gives us that isn't drawing out of us who God has made us to be. Jesus says this, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what is the command that we're called to obey? To love one another as I have loved you. To lay down one's life for one's friends, 
our obedience is for the sake of other people. But we do feel pain in obedience. It's the cost of laying down our lives for our neighbor. But the pain that we experience is not the burden that God is placing on you. The pain that we feel is not the pain of the command. Remember, it's not burdensome. The pain that we feel is the pain of the conflict of the world that doesn't want us to know who and what we are made to be. So there is pain. There is conflict. But it's not because you're being crushed or you're being pressured down or oppressed by the will of God. The pain is the result of being at odds with the world around you. And God is drawing that out so that you can be one who transforms the world around you. Remember that we are to become an alien ourselves, as William says. Obedience in this way is about letting God put me in the place that God has for me so that I can become the person that God imagines me to be. Obedience then becomes about presence. Obedience becomes about showing up. Obedience becomes about a kind of openness to what God is doing in the world, to being in tune with that kind of love that is working in all of creation. So when God gives us a command and we lean into obedience, God is not trying to break us. God is not trying to impose God's will on our lives. Obedience is actually more like God putting water into the clay. When you put water into the clay, it becomes malleable, it becomes easily shaped, and it doesn't crack and break. Obedience makes us supple so that when we do come into conflict with the world, and we will come into conflict with the world, the world doesn't break us. Obedience makes us supple, makes us resilient, makes us firm in our identity of who and whose we are. One final thought, and I'm done. Being free in obedience, free to love God, free to love one another, means that we will know how to make sense of the world. I was thinking of this line this week from Isaiah 30 that says, when you turn to the right or you turn to the left, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Obeying God's command is not about violating who we are. I want us to hear that today. It's making us who we are so that we know how to be the people of God in the world. It's how to be people committed to loving and serving the Lord and the image of Christ in one another. Every command for us works this way, that God is drawing out of you the fullest version of your humanity that we'll never be able to realize unless God shows us how. This is the way. Walk in it. This is the voice that animates a life journeying with Christ. This is the way. Walk in it. We never see Jesus confused or at odds with what to do. 
We never see him about to make the wrong step. And the Holy Spirit comes and intervenes on his behalf because Jesus is so in tune with the Father that he sees what the Father is doing in the world. This is the kind of obedience that we're called to. So that as we obey, we hear that voice behind us. This is the way. Walk in it. The freedom that we experience in obedience is learning to know what to do, is learning to know how to be in the world because we can see what the Father is doing. And so we join in that thing. So maybe you're someone who feels stuck today. Maybe you're somebody who feels like you don't know what the next right thing is. Obey. Lean in. Jump in to serve somewhere. Give yourself and your energies toward a good until you start to hear that voice from behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. And this is where we see that there is a kind of wisdom in obedience. In Proverbs 4, verses 18 and 19, it tells us, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what they stumble over. When I was in college, I um, was going camping one night with some friends, and I couldn't be there on time. I had a prayer commitment. It was probably a prayer meeting or something. Um, but I couldn't get there when everybody else was getting there, so they tell me, park here, follow the trail, and you'll find us at our camping spot. Well, I show up in the night, in the dark, and I park where I'm supposed to, and I make my way toward the trail that I am pretty sure they told me to follow. And I'm a few minutes in, and the branches scratching across my face, and the scratches I'm getting along my legs from the thorns in the bushes, pretty quickly I'm realizing this is not the way. <laughs> But I make my way through, I end up finding them, I pitch my tent, wake up the next morning to look at where I'd come from. And that whole time that I'm struggling through the woods, getting scratched by branches and pricked by thorns, I see that I just missed the trail by a few feet. And in the light of day, it made a lot of sense. This is obedience that the more we love God and the more we love one another, the more we hear that voice behind us saying, this is the way, the more that we walk in the light of righteousness, that we can see the obstacles that are in front of us. Notice in this text in Proverbs, the righteous and the wicked are walking the same path, but one is able to see and the other is walking in darkness. This is our call as we live in obedience, as we become people who live in the light of Christ, that we become people who see reality for what it is. Reality doesn't change for us once we start to obey, but now we can see it and we know how to respond. And our call as believers, as the people of God, is to gather up those who are still walking in darkness, to help them navigate the trail and the path that they can't yet make sense of. This is the way. Walk in it.
we're reminded of this every time we come to this table. It's a meal that consumes us as much as we consume it. We come with our hands open, ready to receive the body of Christ given for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. And as we consume this meal, it transforms us so that we can live lives that are given for others, so that we can live a life that is shed, poured out for the sake of other people. Our obedience is always for the sake of others because our faith is the result of someone else's faithfulness. Someone else's obedience to love one another and to lay down their life for their friends. Amen.